Welcome to the Splinters Podcast from the team on the bench. Community Radio's leading no-holds-barred Friday night sports show. Available online and replayed on Triple H 100.1 FM. Now, here's your host, the Lord Mayor, Keith Topolsky. Yes, welcome to Splinters on Triple H 100.1 FM and on triplehfm.com.au or on podcast.com, Spotify, TuneIn, iTunes. I think it's even called Apple Podcasts now, wherever you get your podcasts and some dodgy ones as well. The Lord Mayor, yes, I do return because it is one of the most wonderful times of year. It is the start of the NHL season. If you're listening to this on Triple H, we're about 36 hours away from the start of the NHL season. Some sensational games to get us underway on the opening night, which I'll tell you about a bit later on as well. But joining me to discuss the Western Conference and joining me, I've got two debutantes and a returning correspondent. To introduce everybody, I'll start with one of our newbies. He had the opportunity to see Western Canada in his youth and he was born in Winnipeg, grew up in Calgary, supported Vancouver. I have no idea how that works. He's now a diehard Newcastle North Stars fan, having lived there all his life for about five minutes, publisher of the Australian Business Executive. Welcome on board, Jesse Landry. All truth, all truth. All truth. That, that, yeah, that's that's the best part about it. It's all true. So welcome on board, Jesse, and uh, Splinter's debutante. Indeed. Uh, it's, it's good to be here. As I was saying before we came on the air, it would be interesting to talk about what's going to happen this year. There's um, uh, a few trades that have been made, and, and I'm, I'm looking pretty positive about my team, Vancouver, and we'll talk about why I support them. <laughs> Well, that, that's certainly something we'll get to a bit later on. And also joining us for his debut on Splinters, he actually headed over to North America. I believe it was in and around New Jersey and Winnipeg that he was looking to ply his trade. An injury cut his time short over there. And now he's returned to coach the Fairbairn Bombers in the Canberra Social League. It's a very warm welcome for his first appearance on Splinters, Adrian Jones. Oh, thanks very much, mate. Um... It's good to be on. Um, I'm pretty excited to uh, talk some NHL. Uh, it's been way too long uh, in the off season. Uh, just chomping at the bit to uh, get started with this season. And uh, I think there's a lot of controversy surrounding the Jets, but it's uh, it's pretty exciting to see the new guys stepping through. So we'll see how this goes. Absolutely, we will. And, of course, he does return for yet another edition of NHL Splinters. He is the former former correspondent for the Calgary Herald, now plays for the Fairbairn Bombers, varies anything between a first-line sniper and a fourth-line enforcer. Welcome back, David Gazard. Thanks, Keith. Good to be back. And like you say, one of the great things about living in Australia is you get to springtime. The summer is right around the corner, but we can start thinking about NHL. So as AFL comes to a close, you start thinking about hockey again. That's a good time of the year. Well, it's even better for those of us who follow the NRL this year because the seasons overlap. So there's actually no time off between seasons and you just get to continue on with your sporting journey right throughout the year. But we do get down to the NHL. We're going to start off, before we do get into the Central Division, with a couple of the rule changes that have come up. Now, one thing I wanted to run past you to begin with, Adrian, the expansion of the Coaches Challenge. Instead of just offside and goaltender interference, they're also allowing a challenge now for discretionary stoppages, uh, I should say, for stoppages that should have resulted from incidental situations on the ice. For example, the puck going into the netting. Is this opening a can of worms, do you think? Well, mate, uh, it's it's going to create a lot of stoppages, um, which can be you know detrimental to the flow of the game, and that's going to be the primary uh, thing that people will be upset about, is because uh, nothing. You, hockey is a flowing game. You, it's up and down the ice. Uh, it's a momentum game. Every stoppage can, you know, tilt the ice, change the momentum. So, but at the same time, their last playoffs was just full of controversial calls. And I think this is the NHL's attempt to kind of silence the masses and to kind of, you know, give the referees a bit of a break because it's a, it's a tough job. You know, the game's moving so bloody fast. You, you don't see what they see. Um, a lot of things are blocked um, from their vision and they can only call what they see. And with so much money and, 
everything, all the above on the games, I think it's going to pretty much silence uh, the naysayers and um, give a bit more of a review, give a bit more of a review over the um, over the calls and just you know keep it fair more than anything, so people can't complain after the fact and uh, you know just pin it on the refs. That's that's what I think. And Jesse, the the interesting thing, Adrian does say it, it is a flowing game hockey, and it is. But the way the league is looking to offset this is introducing different penalties for the unsuccessful challenges. So if it's an unsuccessful challenge, it's a delay of game minor penalty. But for every unsuccessful challenge after that, it's a double minor. So all of a sudden, you could have a team that if they concede a couple of quick controversial goals, they could be looking at five on three for three minutes. So that's certainly an incentive to use the challenge sparingly look it's uh, any additional rule changes um, or the implementation of I think begins to deteriorate the game from a, a quality perspective um, you know again if if we just compare this to other sports as you guys know I'm, I'm a big fan of things like UFC because there's limited rules in it if we look at NRL versus AFL it's the same reason why I don't watch NRL these days because every single time there's a try we go to a video referee and you talk about the flow of the game, it absolutely disrupts it. You compare that to something like AFL, which is a lot more free-flowing. There's no offside rule. The goal is to move, to kick the ball and to tackle. As soon as you start moving into this, it it begins to, you just get whistles constantly and I think it really distracts from what the core purpose of the game is. Is and, and hockey's supposed to be fast moving. It's supposed to be physical. And you seem to notice this as they remove fighting and add more rules. It begins to strip all of that away. And the things that make the game great quickly deteriorate. A couple of other changes, David, we'll run these by you. Referees being able to review major penalties and game misconduct calls and double minor high sticking penalties because in the NHL, if you do hit a guy with a high stick, it's a minor. If you draw blood, it's a double minor. Referees will be able to to look at this on video review. I I think this one's getting very ugly when when you're allowing the referees to make on ice judgments and then review them on their iPads. I've got to say, one of the things I've always been stunned about with hockey is how good good the refs are at, at calling penalties, multiple penalties, and knowing who's going and when. And, and but often, you know, there is there is stuff that happens behind them they can't see. If it, it, it's probably the one rule change I, I I can understand if it goes with the NHL's theme of really trying to get rid of some of the ugly stuff from hockey. Um, I, I'm with the other guys. I I I, I think the NHL has, has followed you know professional sports around the world, which has been predicated on you know if if the technology is there, why don't we use it? But it has come up with sort of all these adverse and perverse influences on the game, and not just in the NHL. It's across all sports. I, I do like the fact that it is going to it's going to introduce a tactical element. To, to challenges because you know if, it, if you're doing it you know as a spurious measure to get your players some extra time at the bench late in the third period where you want some fresh legs so you you you, you review a uh, an offside call for instance that eliminates that so you are going to take a lot of the vexatious and spurious calls that are, that are done really just because they can um, I, I, I do hate you know the offside stuff where it's it's difficult to tell whether the guys, you know, whether the puck's over or behind the blue line or the skate is on the ice, even with the replay. And and you're introducing another whole element of, of, of indecision into the game when that could that could be just the rub of the green. You've got to accept some of those going to call, calls are going to go with you or some are going to go against you. You got you, But it's going to balance out over time. So I, I do like the fact they're trying to introduce a restraint on the coaches from just going to the review all the time. I completely agree with that. A couple of the other changes, 
Line changes for defensive teams will not be permitted if a goalie freezes the puck on any shot from outside the centre red line, which makes a bit of sense. If you do lose your helmet during play, then you're going to have to retrieve that pretty quickly in order to not be assessed a penalty. The interesting one, which will be discussed during the Eastern Conference, because we're already running out of time to discuss the Central Division, which is incredible given how much we have to talk about, is face-offs following an icing to be or, and to begin a power play. The team in the offensive zone can choose which side of the zone they will actually take the face off in which is a really interesting one which will be discussed later on in the podcast but getting into the central division we start at the bottom last season with the team that really did well they ran last in the central division but adrian i'll start with you on this the minnesota wild for the fact that they ran last in the central division they still finished ahead of four teams in the pacific division which tells me that they're not exactly terrible even though at times last year that's what they looked like in a rather tough division well you see with minnesota um obviously with being a winnipeg jets supporter i watch every game and uh, Minnesota's next door, and they're the main rivals. Um, and honestly, they've been such a great team. Um, I think the what really uh, hurt them last year was uh, a lot of injuries, um, especially uh, Matt Dumba. He went down, and he's probably a main minute-taking defenseman. And also, he produces a lot of offense. Uh, the way the the Wilder uh, structured is a very defensive team. They've got a good goaltender. Um, they've got two good two-way hockey players like Zach Parise. He gets down, he gets in front of the net. Um, he puts a lot of goals away right in front and deep. Um, but if you don't have those back-end elements to move the puck um, down the, up the ice and then also jump into the play at the right time, and if your team's built around getting that play from your defensive core and you don't have that trigger man sitting on the point like Matt Dumba, uh, it really hurts your offensive chances. Now, every time I watch the Jets and uh, the Wild play against each other, the Wild, they they play a very trap-orientated game. It's very, very frustrating to watch if you love scoring because that's not what they're about. Um, they haven't been about that for a while, but you know what? They, they get goals. They're not pretty. They're dirty goals in front. And um, I think... Yeah, that was the, that's the main reason, I believe. But they also had issues with the GM. Um, a lot of trades were made at key points. Um, I think uh, Grun- Grunland, I think they traded away him to uh, the Predators and they did it uh, with F- Fiala. And um, it, it just makes you think, why are you, why, why are you making those trades? And um, from what I've heard, it a lot of other people didn't really see the GM's kind of vision for the future, but he was only there for a year, and that's kind of unknown. That's not really a common trend for the NHL to have a, a GM in the in a spot for one year. And uh, so he didn't really get to fulfill his vision, but apparently he just wasn't a player's GM or really an anybody GM. He, uh, he kind of ruffled a lot of feathers, and I think if – you destroy the kind of the fabric of the team. Uh, players just don't want to play. Everyone's human, you know. And if if if, if things aren't going great at, uh, around their rink, and you know, at the end of the day, uh, it's hard not to take that onto the ice and feel a sense of passion to kind of push to, uh, you know, be a good team. And I just think they fell off at the end there because they were close. They they lost Dumber at a critical point of the season, That's too, right. didn't they? They mm-hmm. they he he went down in the last quarter of the season. He, he, he adds a lot of spark. He adds a lot of toughness to that team. And losing him right in the stretch, I thought, was a critical factor in, 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 in their decline last season. Is there any way that Minnesota doesn't finish bottom of the Central this season, even though they have reasonably legitimate claims to being a playoff team? Uh, it's it's way too early to call. You know, it's 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 it is the preseason, so you can't you can't really justify any any games that have been lost or won. Um, they're trying new guys out, um, and it's going to be interesting with a new GM being in state. I'm not exactly um, sure, but um, a lot of pressure is also now on the the coach. But that's also that goes to the identity of the team. Like Zach Parise is getting up there in age, and I think uh, you've got Eric. Is it Eric, Eric Stahl is also Eric on the Stahl. team? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Eric Stahl is on the team, and um, and also they've just added uh, Zuccarello as well, which is a, a very nice pickup. Um, he 
is a playmaker and he, he moves well. He makes great passes. He's an energy guy. Um, but at the end of the day, one player doesn't make a team. It requires the whole team to come together. If you know, if St. Louis isn't like a direct result of uh, a team coming together and you know pushing through and and winning, so you can have all the best players in the world on your team, but if they don't want to play together, then you know hockey's a team sport. At the end of the day, I wonder whether the Chicago Blackhawks are going to be able to you know replicate their sort of mid-strength position of last year because purely around the ageing of their team. So if you are looking to for a team that could slide in that division, I, I reckon it could be um, it could be Chicago. I mean, well, I, I, they, they, were a, they were really top-producing. I think they were in the top 10 offensive teams last year. But you look at guys like Patrick Kane, mm. they're starting to get well and well, well and truly beyond it. Um, they've 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 got some defensive holes. They've got a plug. So if anyone's going to go down in that division, I, I would have thought it'd be the Blackhawks. Well, that's a very good segue into the Chicago Blackhawks because they did finish second last in the Central Division last season. Oli Marta coming in from Pittsburgh, Calvin DeHaan from mm. Carolina are two very good defensive pickups, David. And even though Chicago might be on the downslide, they've certainly acquired some very good players to try and arrest that. I can't believe they managed to get Robin Leonard in free agency to go in net, backing up Corey Crawford. Well, uh, Robin Lanner, um, he had a turnaround season, breakout season last year um, from his previous endeavours, and he come back from alcoholism, which is, you know, a, a great story in itself. Um, and he really turned it around. But I, I, I kind of feel like it was just, it was the Capitals coaching staff that really helped him out. And it's going to be really interesting seeing Robin Lanner go from being, you know. Um, this first line, uh, first, uh, starting goaltender with a 0.930 save percentage average, and uh, now putting him into a new team with a different system, with a leaky kind of defensive core, because you know, like Brett Seabrook's getting up there in age, um, and. I think first and foremost with Chicago, I think you have to be able to know when the team's done and start trying to rebuild. And I think, yeah, it's great trying to rebuild around your core guys like Patrick Kane, Jonathan Tays, but hey, like they've already won, what, three Stanley Cups, you know? And after you've won everything, how, how much drive do you have to really lead a team of new guys and drive and really grind? Because that's what it takes to get a Stanley Cup. You're grinding through injuries, terrible injuries. You hear these guys coming out with broken bones and punctured lungs and previous Stanley Cup playoffs, all these guys coming out with these massive injuries. And you're like, how the hell do guys play through that stuff? But, you know, And if you've already won a Stanley Cup, then I, I'll – you know, I would imagine that it kind of it loses its power after you've already when you got three. Mm. Um, this, and this is where I'd like to bring Jesse in on this because Vancouver is a team that almost went through that. Although unfortunately for Canucks fans, they didn't win a cup, but certainly got to that point where they were stacked with veterans, and it was really time to move on. But Vancouver probably bit the bullet a couple of seasons too late. Jesse, do you think it's time for Chicago if they can't make a real run at it this season to turn around and say, you know what, we had a great run, let's just put a bomb under the place and start again? Look, that, that's always difficult to say because, um, you know, I, I know this best from the perspective of Vancouver and they just keep talking about rebuild. And, you know, I think it was last year that Trevor Linden ended up throwing up his hands as well and saying, like, I'm out of here. He, you know, great player for the for the club who spent majority of his career there, who then went on to become president and ended up leaving. The the issue that you got to balance out with that is that you, you definitely need senior guys because you need leadership in the change room. That's really a big thing that I think people tend to neglect neglect even when players might not be putting up you know numbers that they were doing a decade ago is to have that sort of a you know a couple a general in there who can lead the charge and vancouver doesn't have that so you know with the blackhawks you gotta you gotta mix that up what vancouver's really lacking at the moment is they're building their core around a lot of youngsters and really really good ones there's a lot of people that think that vancouver can make a run at the cup within the next five years but we went through that of an aging team when we had the sedines and we were up until that point, probably until 2015, 2016. I think we still had um, Alex Burroughs and a few other guys around that time. And they just eventually aged out. And I think it's, it's one of the issues that 
professional sports teams have because oftentimes you're locking down guys for long-term contracts. You've got the issues of um, salary cap that's involved. And it happens across every sport. It's really, really hard to gauge how you mix up your team when you look at the free market and you go, well, there's only seven players that are accessible some of them are $30 million a season. Some are, some are fighting between, you know, the, uh, the Bush League and coming back up. Trying to get that mix is really, really difficult. So I can't really comment on what Chicago needs to do. But again, you can't be caught in either position where, where you've got too many young people or too many aging people that are on their way out the door. Speaking of a bucket load of young people, this is one that David may not be too keen on talking about the Colorado Avalanche, who have a very young core and really did a number on Calgary last season in the playoffs, David. They're a team on the up. Look, I didn't want to sort of hark back to that, given that I predicted in the playoffs while we were having this very same podcast, you know, right before the playoffs last season, that the Flames would take the Colorado Avalanche out in four games, and uh, the opposite occurred. The, 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 the one thing I think is such a dominant and potent force in the Colorado Avalanche is their top line. I mean, it just we just could not handle them. And whether or not, you know, that was just the Calgary Flames or whether they were so dominant they'll continue that run through the, the regular season and take them to uh, where they finished. I think they were fifth in the Central Division and, and ended up going deep, deep, deep into the finals. But they have got an unbelievably strong um, <laughs> offensive line with with guys like Landeskog and Rantanen. And, you know, just it just was ridiculous, right? We just couldn't touch them. But they lost Tyre, uh, Ty, was it Tyre, Tyler Berry to the to the Toronto Maple uh, Leafs? Yeah, Tyson yeah. Barry was uh, sent to uh, Toronto in a trade along with Alexander Kafut. But in exchange, Colorado's picked up Nazem Kadri and Calais Rosen. So they, they bulk up that depth scoring that they really lacked. Yeah, that's right. That's right. They, Kadri is a good pickup for them. They look. They're hard to because they were so mercurial. It's it's really hard to know whether they just caught lightning in a bottle or or, or whether they're a genuine genuine prospect for this year. Um, it, it's certainly the case though. They've got one of the most potent first lines in the NHL, bar none. But they still haven't uh, signed Rantanen yet either, though. Yeah. Well, as of recording, they haven't signed Miko Ranton, and, and that could put a bit of a spanner in the works. Can't believe that we're already down into the last seven minutes of the first half of this podcast. <laughs> so moving quickly along to the Dallas Stars, Joe Pavelski is in, Corey Perry is in. They've let a lot of depth guys go. Dallas Stars, they went from a team that couldn't win eight, seven games to a team that couldn't win two, one games. So where, where do you think, David, is the benefit for Dallas this season? Do they try and outscore teams or do they try and stop goals? Well, they were third worst in goal scoring last year. So I don't know whether you're going to get that much production out of Perry and Pavelski that they've added. Um, they really had a great goalie that kind of held them in those games. So I don't think they're going to be that offensively potent. Um, and they really need very strong goal goaltending from Bishop to sort of replicate. That is another team, I think, in the central that could find themselves in difficulty if, if Bishop doesn't get hot. And the, the scenery change before Pavelski and uh, Corey Perry doesn't work out. And let's face it, those guys are in the twilight of their careers as well, particularly Pavelski, right? And Perry's got a broken foot, so supposedly. Yeah. yeah already. They, yep. they, they, they had a strong defense last, last, last year, and they got great goaltending, but, you know, their offensive prowess is, is in doubt, I think. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Now we move along to the team that Adrian would no doubt like to talk about for half an hour, but we've only got a couple of minutes. The Winnipeg Jets eliminated in the first round last season, but they can look back and say, well, at least it was to the t at least it was by the team that ended up winning it all. There's been a lot of players leaving. Adrian can Winnipeg back up and get a seeding in the playoffs, or are they looking at a wild card entry? You know, I think they can uh, finish strong. Uh, they've got a strong leader in Blake Wheeler, and especially, uh, and with uh, Mark Shifley as well. Uh, um, the, the, it would have been nice if Buffalo could have made this decision uh, three months ago, whether he wanted to leave the team or not. Um, but that's 
for a later date for deciding, but I think it's created this vacuum with all these young guys stepping up. And uh, I was watching a few. I've been watching quite a few preseason games, and this Neil Pionk kid from uh, the uh, New York Rangers that we acquired for the trade for Jacob Truba. He uh, he just reminds me of Josh Morrissey, just slick edge control, puck moving, jumps into the rush at the right time. Uh, could just send nice slap shot one timers, and if you've got Morrissey and Pionk, you know, on the first line, those guys are young; they can handle those minutes. Um, and I, I think, uh, you know, especially with Josh Morrissey, mate, he's just uh, jumped in leaps and bounds in his years for maturity as a player, and he's just so defensively responsible and super slick on his skates. And Pionk just looks like a a, a, cop, a carbon copy of him. So I think uh, the real trick for Winnipeg is to really knuckle down their team defensive play because if you've watched any games with Winnipeg, they'll just ham a team in. And you watch this in the playoffs against St. Louis. They ham them in for 45 seconds to a minute, just pounding away shot after shot after shot after shot. But then after it's all said and done, the puck's going out of the way and they uh, go in the other way and they – they fall apart defensively and everyone gets lost. And I think if everyone can get on the same page and I think uh, I was watching and they uh, heard the announcers talking about they're trying to do this five man uh, defensive sag. So uh, you have a, uh, it's really stacking one side of the ice um, on the puck. So pretty much your, it really increases your chances of uh, winning the puck battle out of the corner and then making those small three, four-foot passes out to guys and breaking out as a unit. But it does leave you open for that leaky puck to pop out the back to an unmarked guy. And you really need your goaltender to push across and and make that save. And I think with Hellebuck and uh, Benoit... Uh, is it uh, Lauren... Brossois. Uh, Lauren, Lauren Brossois. Brossois. That's, yes, that's right. Um I think that's a great uh, goaltending duo, um, but no doubt the defense side of the Winnipeg Jets. I'm not concerned about the offensive side. You've got Winni- you got Blake Wheeler. He was the I think it was the second highest assist man in the league, um, and the absence of uh, Line A, uh, you know, it's just it, I think he he's caused enough chaos um, from outside the team and. I'm not sure if trading him would be the best option, but he, he's not one of the type. He, he just doesn't seem interested out there. And I think that must it must hurt the other players looking at that guy, thinking, wow, this guy's getting 25 minutes a game and he's not producing and he's not even trying out there and I'm working my ass off. So I think it's just... It, all in all, I think it's giving the uh, the youth and the young guys and anybody who's looking for a job, it's giving them the fire underneath them to go, hey, there's a position here available, available for me if I earn it. And uh, it, that type of uh, attitude, uh, with especially with a leader like Blake Wheeler at the helm, um, it, it cre- can create special things. Like you just look at the New York Islanders, what they did as a team. Um, they didn't really have any major... Uh, major, major contract playing guys like a Stamkos or anything, and you know they got to the playoffs and didn't they? Didn't they sweep? Who did they play? The Penguins and they swept them. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. The Islanders did sweep the Penguins, and you're right. The the lack of big contracts could be a good thing. It could be a bad thing. But speaking of big trades, one team that did ship out a big name, and we've only got a few seconds to go through them, unfortunately, because we've still got another one after this. The Nashville Predators sending PK Subban to the New Jersey Devils. It allowed them to sign Matt Duchesne. Jesse, very quickly, do you think Nashville is still a genuine title contender, or are they starting to go off the boil a bit? Yes, uh, I think they're still involved. They've they've had a, a few good years. Um, I think they're around. I think that behind the scenes, I think the management's doing a very good job. Uh, if they just make small maneuvers each year, I think they'll be able to at least uh, remain, you know, above that 500 and be competitive for playoffs. And we finish up with the St. Louis Blues, who, after they were dead last halfway through the season, I think it was 14, 18, and 4, or something like that. I don't know whether anything happened to them during February through June that was of any consequence, but maybe something did. Very quickly, each one, each of you, starting with Adrian, St. Louis, are they going to be the real deal again, or did they just get hot at the right time last season? Adrian, you first. 
No, 100%. I think they're going to be another contender. Uh, if they continue off from last year, um, they've still got the main core group of guys. And uh, I'm biased because Nathan Walker, the only Aussie player in the league, has been signed to them for a two-year, two-way contract. And uh, I've liked what I've seen with him. So I think... It, you know, they've still got the core group. Um, David Perron looks good. He's still firing. And you've got Ryan O'Reilly, the best centre, one of the best centres in the NHL, um, and two-way forwards at, at, that, at, res- at that respect as well, still there. And then you've got Tarasenko, which can literally get hot at the drop of a coin. So I think they're still going to definitely be up there. David, flashing a pan or the real deal? Adrian's covered it pretty well. I think Binnington is still a question mark. He was unbelievable last year, but will he go through a sophomore slump? Jesse, flash in the pan or real deal, the St. Louis Blues? The answer is no, flash in the pan. They're not coming back. Um, the, <laughs> the, thing, the thing that's more interesting to me out of all this, um, again, with the team that I support, is in the last couple of years, we've had the Capitals win their first cup. We've had St. Louis win their first cup, having never won before. And that leaves only two teams from that sort of expansion era that still are due to collect a cup and it. Pisses me off and excites me at the same time. Most two teams Buffalo, Vancouver. That is biased. Well, we both know Buffalo aren't winning it, so maybe it's Vancouver's year this year, eh? It could be. We're about to get to the Pacific Division, and this is when it's going to get really fiery right here on Splinters. The 2019 Australian Ice Hockey League season has concluded with your all about caring Sydney Bears winning it all. That doesn't mean it's all over for the year on the hockey front. Log on to bearsshop.com.au for all your Bears merchandise options. And stay tuned to Splinters and the Bench for updates coming out of the Australian Women's Ice Hockey League and the world's top competition, the National Hockey League. Sydney Bears, hear us roar. Sponsors of Triple H. And welcome back to Splinters on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming live on triplehfm.com.au, or you might be listening to us via podcast.com or Spotify or TuneIn or Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Keith Topolsky with you. The Lord Mayor back for one night only. Well, maybe another night here or there. We'll see what happens. We're talking National Hockey League with Adrian Jones, Jesse Landry, and David Gazard. We're going to skip over the CBA because... From our chat in the intermission, this is going to get brutal. So we're going to keep as much of the talk on the Pacific Division as possible. We're going to start with the team that ran last in the Pacific, last in the Western Conference overall last season in the Los Angeles Kings. They haven't really made too many changes. And I'll start with Jesse on this one because the only real significant signing they've made is Ben Hutton from Vancouver. As we mentioned in the first half of the podcast, or the first section of the podcast, I should say. It really is difficult when you've got so many old guys, Jesse, and you've seen this with the Canucks, to really start a rebuild if nobody wants to take those players off your hands. Mm, you're not wrong about that, and, and we can talk about you know one of the signings that was interesting to me a few years ago. As you get older, I, I don't really know how they're able to measure it exactly, but once you start hitting about 37, it's like clubs are not interested in having you around. And Calgary took a punt a few years ago on that with the Armir Jaeger, and that turned out to be disastrous for them. <laughs> we're seeing that with the San Jose Sharks at the moment now, where even a guy like Joe Thornton can only get a one-year contract. As you start to age, they must know the statistical sort of facts around that thing of of why it doesn't work out for them. Uh, I don't think the Kings are going to get much better this year. Um, I really enjoy playing them because we're sort of we're equal and we tend to get above them, and, and we oftentimes have a lot of preseason games. We were playing them in China last year, but um, I think they'll win. sit. Yeah, yes, exactly. Um, and I think they'll continue to sit low this year. Adrian, is there any chance that the LA Kings don't finish last in the Pacific, given that they have a roster that the average age appears to be 300? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, they've moved the biggest pylon out of the NHL off their team, which was nice, uh, Dion Phaneuf. So I actually don't even know where he went. That's how much of a pylon he was. Probably back to the road construction crew uh, where he belongs. But anyway, but uh, yeah, it's it's a real wonder how he ever got drafted in the NHL. Anybody who actually drafted him in the NHL really should hang their heads in shame. Well, the guy's a cancer, isn't he? He was yeah. a cancer in every team he yeah, played in. Yeah. Is that why Calgary shipped him to Toronto? 
Absolutely. He was a cancer <laughs> in our go. team. He actually wasn't a bad player. No. But he was a terrible influence on the side. Yeah. His attitude stank, so they shipped him to Toronto. Yeah. They shipped him to to, uh, to Los Angeles, and, and lo and behold, um, he's, he's just been bought out. I think we have yeah. a FNOF fan here because he knows every step the FNOF's taken, so... His secret. Well, I, I'm does, just going to say. Let's... Actually, but I'm I'm going to leave that there. He he missed a step, but I'm just going to skip over that step. Okay. Uh, but uh, last year was kind of hilarious with the LA Kings. It kind of felt like a uh, EA Sports like fantasy hockey team. You know, the kids buy those cards and they put together all the players that should play together well, and uh, then turn out to do nothing. Like uh, like uh, getting um uh, who was it from Russia back who played for New Jersey? Uh, oh, Ilya Kovalchuk. Kovalchuk. Yeah, like grabbing Kovalchuk like back in uh, and throwing him into the mix and expecting Fanuf and you know I, honestly it just they've had and then having Jonathan Quick back there and even though that he's earned every dollar of that contract that he's gotten he's just. Man, he he's one of the he was one of the best lateral moving goaltenders in the NHL, and he you know if you've seen him make saves, he's just so active. But it's just such a massive toll on the body, and they just don't have a goaltender to uh, slot in to kind of usher in. And if if if, ever, if the, today's NHL is anything going to tell you is that you really need a good a stable goaltender to have a good team. You know, you need to build off the goaltender. You need a, rig- a stable goalie. You know, he's not going to make every save, but he's going to make the saves that you need at the right time. What about how they've reached into the heart of the Vancouver Canucks so and stolen? Oh. Grand theft larceny, defenseman Ben Hutton, a franchise player of ever was the- there was one. <laughs> I- this is unnecessary baiting. This is instigating. With the rule changes, you'd be in the box. <laughs> ben, ben, the the, video the idea of Ben Hutton, for, for those who aren't necessarily hockey fans, if I was to put it in a rugby league parlance, describing Ben Hutton as a franchise player in the NHL would probably be describing, oh, gee, let me see, uh, probably David Gower from the Parramatta Eels as their franchise player. So, this is yeah, the year he this, <laughs> this is the year he comes out and really starts playing. Uh, Brady, you, know, you guys are Vancouver. wrong about this. You know, we, you're talking about goaltending as well as sort of being the backbone of a team, and the Canucks have a history of shipping off goaltenders who are are almost are average for them at the time that they're in Vancouver, and then go on to be superstars. Corey Schneider, Robert Luongo, all all Canucks players who went off to Case go do amazingly well after they left. Yep. Case in point. You got it. And goalies are notoriously known to be. They, they take a lot of time to get into their zone, into into their groove. Like you're not gonna. It's very rare you get a 21 year old goalie that comes out and just is a top tier goaltender. That was why. That's why Bennington was such a rare find. But what, isn't he 25? Yeah, but it was his yeah. first. First yeah. year up, yeah. out of, out yeah. of the out That's of the, right. He he pulled the them out. Genius, he right? pulled them out of the dirt. And like, what did Philadelphia go through? Like seven or eight goaltenders. I think they like like made a record or tied the record for most goaltenders pulled through the organization to start. So mm. it goes to show you, like, you just need a stable goaltender um, to build the team from. And Jonathan Quick, back in his day, man, I love what I love watching Quick. And uh, and it's all they based they're very defensive team again. They, they bore you to death, and then they score on the rush, and then they score from the point. you got Drew Doughty, another guy, puck-moving defenseman, moves in, uh, also can step up in the rush. But now if you don't have those pieces to uh, build – if you don't have those pieces to keep, you know, the, the team working together as a, as a unit, um, then, you know, what's the old saying? You know, it's, it just comes down to the weakest league in the chain, you know? Very quickly, in one word, Drew Doughty or Anze Kopitar, or even both of them, do either or both get traded during the season? Adrian, yes or no? Uh, neither. No. David? No, I don't follow him enough, but I don't see them moving. And now we move along to 
perhaps the most beloved team in the Gazard household, the Edmonton Oilers, <laughs> who have who have acquired Mike Smith in free agency from Calgary to start in net. James Neal for Milan, Lou Cheech was one of the trades in the offseason. Plenty of players leaving. Gaz, you must have been so heartbroken when you saw the Oilers just go through disastrous decision after disastrous decision under Peter Chiarelli. I tell you what, James Neal and Mike Smith, don't let the door slam on your ass on the way out. <laughs> That's not very Edmonton's nice. welcome to them. I, I can't see Edmonton improving. I, I think we've reached in and picked up a tough guy in, in Milan Lukic. Um, I, I think he'll be a welcome addition after he was the, he was the trade for, for James Neal. If Edmonton, I mean, they are the team I love to hate, right? Three, three hours up the, the freeway from Calgary. It's the Battle of Alberta. It, it goes right back to, you know, take me to the happy place, twitch in the corner of my right eye with Gretzky and <laughs> all, all those guys. How many games do we lose to those guys? But I love the fact they are perennial basement dwellers and I can't see any change this year, which gives me a lot of joy. Down the road in Calgary. It, it's okay. no Especially when they've got okay. arguably the best player in the league and they still can't do anything with them. Correct. Three back to back seasons of over 100 points and that's still the, haven't finished in yeah, anything. That's the point I want to pick up on very quickly between Adrian and Jesse. Adrian, I'll start with you. Now that James Neal is moving to Edmonton and looks like he's going to play on Connor McDavid's line, is this going to give James Neal a new lease on life? A hundred percent. The one thing that James, uh, that uh, Milan Lucic uh, failed was just being being able to redeploy him in the right place at the right time because a player as dynamic as McDavid and how he strides and how much attention he draws to himself, you've literally just got to have the head about you to get into the right spot and just be able to finish every opportunity that he gives you and puts on a silver plate. That's what Leon Dreisaitl did all year last year was just pop those right side, you know, right side top shelves. He just had to pretty much lean on the stick and just wait for the wait wait for the puck to be fed in perfect spot because McDavid is a dream player to play with if you were to play with him. But the problem is with McDavid is he's just so bloody fast. You've got to be able to keep up with him. And I think James Neal has the skill and I think um, also talking about veteran, uh, Jesse was talking before about veteran presence in a locker room. Um, I think it's desperately needed in Edmonton. And um, if James Neal can kind of bring that aspect of his game to the locker room and then start putting some biscuits in the basket, man, like there's nothing stopping them. And Mike Smith, nothing would motivate a goaltender more to make saves than his team putting, you know, putting goals in the net, uh, putting pucks in the net. So I, I think that... Uh, it's going to be good for James Neal, and I think it would be a bit of toughness, but also a bit of support as far as the uh, speed and skill uh, in the speed and skill area as well. And, Jesse, the, the fact that James Neal does get to play with a player so fast as Connor McDavid means that James Neal doesn't have to play that tough guy role anymore. McDavid will be setting him up to put, as Adrian said, biscuits in the basket. Maybe. But I wouldn't be looking at, you know, to to end up in Edmonton is a, it's pretty poor with the situation they're at. I'd be looking at that. It's been, I'd be looking at that as an opportunity to sign something like a two-year deal. So you're getting that ice time to have him make you look good. And then you use that to get yourself out. Well, the way Edmonton's been playing, they may look to ship guys out, but really, as long as you've got Connor McDavid, you've got to start winning. A team that hasn't been winning much either, and this really did surprise me, the way they went downhill so fast, right alongside their cross-city cousins, the Anaheim Ducks, me being a proud Senators fan, I have no time for the Ducks whatsoever. Mind you, it was Chris Phillips that scored the Anaheim winning goal, but we're not going to talk about that, because they bought out Corey Perry, but then they didn't really do anything in terms of trying to trade away other veteran guys and really they're just going to be relying on John Gibson here, Adrian, to provide them with any chance to make the playoffs. Look, John Gibson's a fantastic goalie and he should be because he probably sees the most rubber in the NHL. Um, so he, he makes some fantastic saves uh, in really, really tough situations. Um, as far as moving... Perry, I think it's good because uh, it gives him a new opportunity. But it also, uh, I've heard on the grapevine that the, the the under team for the Ducks just have a lot of great prospects moving through. 
And um, if you only, it's truly their rebuild right now. And like I said before, you've got Cam Fowler leading the defenseman. He's sensational. Um, and then you've got you know Gibson and Net. So with those two two key factors, like you know, all you need now is some guys that can receive pucks from the D zone, play as a team, move it out. And the Ducks are also another defensive team, um, and they play play uh, deep in their zone. They they break it out uh, together as a unit. Um, but yeah, I, I think I think it's 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 good sailing for the Ducks. Um, I just you got to move Perry just to give a new bloke and another a chance to move through, and especially Adam Henrik. Um, he's another hot shot. Uh, he's a sensational player. Uh, it's given him more ice time as well. Uh, that these older guys would be chewing up those minutes, and at the end of the day, it's all about just getting those minutes and getting those miles on the clock, and really. Uh, taking what you can from every minute you're out there. Taking what you can from teams is basically what, how you would describe JT Miller being acquired in exchange for a first-round pick. We move on to Jesse's Vancouver Canucks. Jesse, I have two questions which indicate that maybe maybe Vancouver's not as smart as they think they are. JT Miller in exchange for a first-round pick and giving Tyler Myers $30 million over five years what, and I can hear Adrian really surprised in the background. Jesse, what were you guys thinking? Uh, well, look, we de- we desperately need defensemen at the moment. That's really, um, uh, you, you know, I guess you could potentially talk about the issues with the goaltender, but uh, of the many things that Vancouver's lacking at the moment is uh, solid defenseman that we can lock down long term uh, I think we've just re-signed Alex Edler who's uh, who's certainly on the seniors list for I think three years as well uh, we've got Jet Wu who's coming through the system at Utica which is our farm team uh, we've got Quinn Hughes who's our rookie and Tyler Myers is going to add to this where we've been really la- lacking is getting you know solid pairs of defense so Again, the, the issue that comes down to this is just about who's available in market at the time. It's something that we that we desperately needed, and sometimes you got to spend the money to do that. If you want to talk about sort of shitty trades or guys that we've brought in, all that focus on the moment is on Louis Erickson. Uh, Louis Erickson, I think, has been with the club for two or three seasons. He's on about $7 million a year, and last year he played a full... 81 game season and put up 11 goals for the team so the the pressure is really on him so vancouver's not gonna be making any more big more big moves with trades at the moment the the club is entirely reliant on a trifecta of players to build them up to get them to a cup and that's quinn hughes who i already mentioned who's going to slot in uh at d the second guy is brock besser who was uh rookie of the year calder candidate a couple years ago before breaking his back and last year the calder rookie of the year winner who was elias Pedersen. Pedersen, I think, is certainly what they're looking at. But a couple of years down the road, and I'll bring you back in here, Adrian, is Thatcher Demko being the goaltender of the future in Vancouver because they've also got Michael DiPietro, who I saw a little bit of when I went over to Canada a couple of years ago and saw the Ottawa 67s in action. And I thought whoever got their hands on DiPietro was going to have their hands on a winner. And to think that they've got another one that's even better in Demko Maybe not this year, but certainly they've got a bright future. Well, for sure. Look, I'm not ex- I'm not too well versed in the uh, Vancouver goaltender situation. I have watched Demko play, um, but it's it it's really hard to really predict how a goalie is going to break out, especially in the NHL. Uh, there's a lot of contributing factors, but having a defenseman like Tyler Myers is definitely a great start to assist because. Uh, when goalies move, they're all they're judging their angles. Uh, they they're using their points and their marks. And then when they have to be athletic to make that desperate save, they can make that save knowing that the defenseman's going to be there. But if a defenseman's not there, it's going to hurt your numbers because no doubt there's going to be in, the team sitting behind, uh, sitting in the back door, ready to you know pop that one away on you if your defenseman's not there. And uh, having Tyler Myers in front of Demko is good. I'm not exactly sure. Um, about his uh, the second uh, guy you've uh, spoken about. Uh, what was his name, sorry? Michael DiPietro. Yeah, uh, I haven't seen too much about him. Uh, I'm not really well-versed, again, in uh, Vancouver's goaltending situation. But if they've got uh, some prospects, all you know, they've just got to be patient. That's the bottom line. And uh, having Pedersen, he's fantastic. He's absolutely dynamic. I love watching this kid play. 
Um, he can, he's got the puck on a string like 99% of the time. Uh, he just needs to put some, put some meat on those bones and, uh, he'll, mm. he'll be set. It's, it's a real issue guy. between those, those guys. Um, both Besser and Patterson were concussed last year. Besser's just been concussed in preseason again. Oh, wow. And I think the, both of them are only, you know, I think they're weighing about like 180, 185. Um, they really need to stack on some weight. That's one eighty to one eighty five. Just to clear up, that was one eighty to one eighty five pounds. These guys aren't monster one eighty kilo players. <laughs> they're not Dustin Bufflin. <laughs> no, they're not. I was just going to say before we move on, I, I really like the addition of Michael Furlan to that team. And yes, he's, good. He, he's a really solid two way player. I, I don't know what line they'll put him on, but he could he could potentially be one of those guys who who anchors a second or third line. Um, if you paired paired him up with Pedersen, you know, I mean, that would be his dream run. But he he's just a very solid twenty, maybe low thirty goal scorer. He, he and the reason I know that he played in Calgary for a while before we shipped him for Lindhelm uh, to Carolina. So I, I think that's a great addition to to the Vancouver club. And while we've got you there, David, we'll get you to comment on a team that had as many scoring issues as what James Neal did last season in the Arizona Coyotes. They were decimated by injuries, but once they got their full roster back on the ice, they were putting points away at the rate of being able to qualify for the playoffs. And if there's one thing you do when you are struggling to score goals, it's you go out and you get the probably not necessarily the best pure goal scorer, but the most absolute pure goal scorer in the league in Phil Kessel. Yeah, the most athletic, by the way. He, he he's a great. <laughs> sure, sure. For those he's of you who don't know, there, there are club. many, many memes of Phil Kessel just eating hot dogs online. Just type in <laughs> Phil Kessel. Yeah. If he's not, if he's not a McDonald's, he is a good scorer. There's no doubt about that. Look, he he actually is a good addition to that club. I think he is a good. He's got great scoring touch. Um, that, and they had problems with scoring. Arizona, as you'll remember, last year had really one of the worst starts of of NHL history. Um, I think it and was then they first started, eleven. They, first they, eleven. They, in they a were row. just terrible, they weren't they? And yeah. they they but they pulled it together. But they were decimated through through injury. Uh, and one of their problems was goal scoring. So. You know, provided they can stay healthy and the addition of Kessel, they, they, they could be a much better team this year. There's no doubt about that. We're going to move straight into the absolute gun teams because we've only got about six or seven minutes remaining, unbelievably. Vegas Golden Knights, the team that just continues to surprise Adrian. They finally hit a cap crunch. They've had to let Colin Miller walk. They've had to let Nikita Gusev go. And this all comes back to the fact that they threw big money at Max Pacioretty and Mark Stone. Pacioretty I'm not sold on, but I don't care what you're paying for Mark Stone. I think it's going to be a bargain because I saw the best of him and I was almost ready to cry when Ottawa let him go. Yeah, I, if I was Ottawa's GM, I would be huddled in the corner, yeah, crying like uh, all, all, all night, all day for the next That's key. year. That's key. Yeah, that, that was me. Yeah, that was me. <laughs> yeah, oh, That's my, Keith in the regular season. But, um, yeah, look, Marc-Andre Fleury, like what a f- guy. I honestly feel like the Pens, I know the Pens wanted to invest in the future. They had to let him go because of the expansion draft, but, man, that guy could put a tease a mule. That guy put a team on his back and carries them the whole way, man. I have not. I am so impressed by that guy. You know, they they uh, they they call him the flower, and uh, man, it's slanderous to him because, man, he is a brick wall. Um, and having Mark Stone there, he is just everything you want in a guy. He he's got it all. He's just got that toughness element about him. He's dirty. You know, he's gritty. He scores. There's little sh- goals in front, but he also can snipe and he can he, he steps up in the rush. He's just got such incredible hockey IQ. Um, and uh, having Max Pacioretty, yeah, I'm not. Well, I agree, I'm not too sold on him. But hey, he seems to be stacking up the numbers. But then they've got um, they they Thomas Tatar. You know, he's he 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 started putting up the numbers while he was there, and um, a couple other guys that. Um, the first year they came out, that was a breakout year because that was a team that just had something to prove. And it was a shame they didn't win. It would have been nice to see them push one out. I think uh, once they kind of work out the kinks and um, maybe incorporate the little depth that they have in their minors into their club, um, you know, again, basing it off Mark andre Fleur, if he come back with another great season, I don't see them out of contention. We move into possibly the... 
strangest team, well, not necessarily strangest team, but most difficult team to read based on what they've done in the off-season. And, Gaz, I need to know from the Calgary perspective, what do you hope to get out of Cam Talbot, David Riddich, as your goaltending tandem? Of course, to me, having Talbot as your starter when he completely failed in Edmonton, didn't do much in Philadelphia, it just makes no sense. Put up a two-to-shooter. I think, you know, it's basically what that says is David Riddick is going to be the starter this year. Um, They've shipped Smith out. He's 37. And Riddick was, you know, showed a huge amount of promise through the regular season last year. He tailed away in the end and they had to bring Smith back with his experience through the playoffs and lost. So I think this basically says to Big Save Dave is the man. (laughs) <laughs> and they've they've brought in a guy like Talbot, and I think you know just reading the press in in Calgary, they 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 got him for a fairly good price. He's got experience. They're hoping this trade will give him a new lease on life. And let's not let's not you know be too hard on the guy as well. He he, he was behind a really really porous defence. So. Calgary's not like that. They've got a much more solid defence, so they're hoping that, that, that Cam will do a better job there if they need him. But it's certainly a, a, a big nod, nod of approval to, to Riddich. And, Jesse, I'll get your thoughts on – and we know that Gaz is a big fan of Mark Giordano. He's said so in the past. But in, in terms of what Calgary is looking at with their defensive depth, yes, Giordano is their best defensive player, but – when you if if you happen to lose Giordano and as was mentioned before he's he's getting towards the back end of his career mid to late 30s if you lose him what sort of leadership do you have back there for the flames Oh, look, I don't think they're in a bad position. I, I mean, he, he's a defenseman. The defenseman will be able, I think, to, to last a, a little bit longer. So, yes, he, he's on the way out. We were talking about this during the break, but he'll be around for a while. And, and, and I'm under sort of no false impressions. Calgary, you know, the, the, their playoffs were terrible last year, but I think the, the team as a whole will be in a good position. They've got enough young players, as you're talking about with Johnny Hockey, that, um, I think this is, you know, really good experience for them as they develop through their careers. So I think Calgary is going to continue, um, at least for, you know, the next three to four years to be in, in playoff contention. And we come to the final team in the Western Conference, the San Jose Sharks, who they allowed Gustav Nyquist a deadline rental to walk. They allowed Joe Pavelski to go long-term captain. He was a club legend. But when you're throwing $88 million over eight years for Eric Carlson, somewhat, something had to give. Patrick Marlowe walked the, the season before. And Adrian... $88 million for Eric Carlson, even as someone who was a big fan of his in Ottawa, I think that's a bit of an overpay, isn't it? Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. Um, but my question is why? Like, you, you have such good def- – like, you have your offensive defenseman in Brent Burns. Why do you need to add Eric Carlson? It just feels like – it feels like you're doubling up on a position that you don't need. And I think – like highly offensive defenseman is good, but man, if you have too many of them, it's the key. It puts a lot of holes in your defensive structure. Um, Cause at the end of the day, man, a defenseman is defense first and uh, Brett Burns takes a lot of offensive chances and a lot of offensive risks. And Eric Carlson does the same. Now in saying that at the end of the year, he was coming into it and uh, he was starting to become himself. He was, uh, in Ottawa, I don't imagine he had too much help as far as being able to feed the puck up to, you know, superstars like uh, Thomas Hurdle and Pavelski. But um, he – it just seemed like a bit of overkill for that team, and it's a, it's a cap hit that wasn't necessary. Um, I know Martin Jones, he's a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a good goaltender, but he's not like – I don't feel like he's a cup-winning goalie because he's very, very hot and, hot and cold. And I think the the 11 million would have been well-suited to trying to go for a target like um, – uh, who did the Columbus Blue Jackets just uh, drop? Sergei uh, Bobrovsky. Yeah, it would have been much better if they had Sergei Bobrovsky and paid him, say, $10 million a season, and you've got that team in front of it, man – 
you could have your offensive defenseman like Burns take those risks and be pretty confident. Then Bravoski would be able to step up and take those uh, that be able to take that defensive chance, even if it came back a two on one and uh, have confidence there. But Martin Jones, uh, he doesn't seem to have. Just he doesn't he doesn't seem to have that dependability like uh, Brabowski does. But anyway, I, I just think it's a bit of overkill having two highly highly offensive defensemen on your team. Don't forget though that that San Jose their skid coincided with Carlson's injury, and he arrested the skid when he came back. Mm. Like he is a guy that actually could turn the franchise around, and he's got a franchise salary now to boot. Mm. I mean, there's there's that's. When the rubber hits the road, that guy actually delivered for for the franchise, right? Mm. And that's probably why he had the upper hand in negotiations because that he could demonstrate what his absence meant for that team. But then you def- you kind of you completely uh, restructure the whole the whole uh, way the team's designed. Yeah. They're supposed to be a run and gun team that moves up the ice quickly. And then what happens is if you're paying eleven million dollars for a defenseman that's primary job is to defend, not score goals. Then you don't have that cap space to be able to sign another guy that can put pucks in the net from the front. Like, okay, you've got a Van Kane, but you know I've got a bit of bad blood from him being on the Jets, and I think he's a leech. Um, <laughs> I and, love Van Kane. I love that guy. But I wish, uh, we, I wish we'd traded for him. But uh, and I think he's just bad blood. Um, he's just he's just got a bad ego, bad attitude, and uh, any team he kind of gets his little leechy fingers into, he just kind of creates cancer and destroys it from the inside out. Um, but yeah, okay. You could say that he, uh, Carlson does have that ability, but I just think that type of player just had the, has the, has the wrong fit, especially at $11 million a season. That's a massive cap hit. You could sign two, maybe three guys that are like, or you could sign one guy, you know, they signed what Mitch Marner to $11 million. Imagine having a Mitch Marner on, on the San Jose Sharks. Like that's 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 filling the shoes of uh, Jumbo Joe. Like you need another. You, you're never going to get another Jumbo Joe. He he. Like what was that one season? He had like sixty assists and one goal, and the goal was an empty net. Like so. <laughs> he was a hard hard guy too, wasn't he? Yeah, and he's 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 massive, he mate. But the tough. thing that the, the he just threads the eye of the needle, and it, it reminds me of the way Blake Wheeler plays. It, they just. They thread the iron needle. They they understand the game. They understand how to move to open up those seams, and then they can feed the seams to whoever's there that has the skill to be able to put those pucks in the net. Well, we could keep going all night on this, but we're already well over time, so that's where we'll leave Splinters, the Western Conference preview of the National Hockey League. Adrian Jones, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. We'll definitely get you back during the season. Thanks, mate. I appreciate it. Uh, anything to talk hockey, mate, I'm there. David Gazard, pleasure as always, and we'll certainly get you back to talk about the Calgary Flames in the not-too-distant future. Oh, and there'll be a lot to talk about, and most of it will be linked with the term success, glory, you know, other superlatives, so no doubt. Anyway, thanks for having me on. Or lack thereof. Jesse Landry, thank you so much for joining us on your Splinters debut. We'll be talking Vancouver Canucks with you later on in the season. Happy to do it. Interested to see how that chat will go. <laughs> and thank you. <laughs> thank you for joining us on Triple H 100.1 FM or on triplehfm.com.au. But for now, it's goodbye. <laughs>